See this? This is my boomstick! got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. And Jack left town. Hey, we're back. We're here. This is us. Yeah. I'm me and you're you. And that's okay. <laughs> okay. This is the mag- we are to, all together. Welcome to the podcast of the Magic Garden. Yes. Remember that show, the Magic Garden? No. In the 60s or 70s? No, the Magic Garden, no. Don't I don't remember know. That. It was uh, some. It was two lesbians that were like... No, ta- I don't remember I don't think that. they were lesbians. I don't care. They were two like ladies that like it was a children's show. Never saw it. Magic Garden, and Never they were like it. swing and stuff. It was uh, it was right before or right after uh, Captain Kangaroo. By 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 the early seventies, I was already riding my Harley around. Yeah, ma- acting, you know, like um, there, you you were like you were called stomper. you were like you were called like Bong Ripper or something yeah, like that. Yeah, ah, yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was only twelve, but you know, I was. Uh, <laughs> you know. Hey, my name's Mal. With me as always, Doctor Morbius from parts unknown. It was and, a freer time, as I and like this to is Slow Robot a Go Go Big Show One Eighty. Damn. 180 shows right there in your ear holes. And they said it wouldn't last. Yes, well. They are wrong. One, once again, they are wrong. Yeah. You, them, all you, though, they are All you haters. There. Yeah. Haters gonna hate. So, <laughs> worst <laughs> ever, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, this is the show dedicated to B through Z grade movies. Yes, dedicated. Uh, we are dedicated. We are dedicated. After 180 shows, I mean. Today we have a special interview. Yes, we do. So, uh, With a local Tampa filmmaker, Sean Donahue. Yeah, yeah it's awesome, man. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the, him when we get into it. Uh, we're going to do our review first, and then we'll drop in, talk about him, and play the review. And you're going to uh, have to disregard the sound quality, because it's very bad. Yes, it was recorded at a local oh. restaurant. The restaurant, and, nice. And uh, we tried our best, but uh, hopefully we'll... Uh, but our best uh, wasn't good enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what was that? There was that song, I did my best, but my best just wasn't good enough. It's like, yeah, yeah whatever, dude. Do yeah. Try again. Alright, well, did you watch anything this week? Because I watched absolutely what, zero What things. I watched this week isn't a movie. It was like, I was just flipping around through YouTube, and they had. I've seen it before. I probably even talked about it before. They had a documentary and for some reason I forgot I'm trying to pinpoint about uh, Mr. Why. Baker no 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 <laughs> but it was musical it was called uh, what was what, what led me to there anyway uh, Prague at the BBC it was like from oh. the documentary from the 70s Prague Rock which is one of my favorite uh, genres is always like the most like either hate not hated but like put down or who cares or whatever you know every other thing of metal punk hard rock it's all yeah man yeah it's great but like the the old you know, keyboard and Mellotron and fox head outfits and goofy theatrical. It's kind of like, always like, kind of like put down or whatever. So, of course, being like a champion of like what everybody else doesn't <laughs> like, I love it. You know what I mean? I would say that most people don't know. I don't even, I didn't know what the hell prog rock was. You, I mean, yeah. you, you taught me. I, I just didn't know. I mean. Yeah, it was, it just missed you by like maybe yeah. seven or eight, nine years or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, but it, but even so, like I have some of the records that, you, that yeah. is classified that. I just didn't know what the, you know. Yeah. I was like, okay, whatever. And of course, technically, punk rock is what killed prog, so, you know. I, I thought punk rock killed disco. No, disco lasted for a few years, you know, mm. but it was Prague mostly, because since punk started pretty much as a British thing, except for maybe the Ramones, but mostly thought of as a British mm. sensation, Prague was like the big, you know, like, oh my God, 
20 minute songs and like you know like big you know smoke bombs and all these weird like Tolkien backgrounds and all <laughs> this crap and Punk said F this man we're just like three chords and glory you know yeah. what I mean so I, w- I think because that's what happened with hair bands yeah. when then grunge Grunge stomp that out. I think what happens is it gets bigger and more grand yeah. and bigger, and it honestly the the business model can't sustain itself. Like mm-hmm. they're not making any money. The bigger the the bigger the trucks that are rolling in for every show, that's more cost of everything, and it's like it y- y- it's it can't sustain. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even like how Kiss was and and Motley Crue, they were like all crazy with the the theatrics and all this stuff. You ain't making any money then. You know, yeah, yeah. if you're just three guys in 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 jeans and cut up shirts, and you just go up there and you plug your amp in and play, you're making money. If you have this, the the and, it, and I can see where it gets bigger and grander and bigger and. You well, know. I think it was a generational thing, and at the point where Prague ended, mm. that's when the baby boomers generation kind of like stopped. You know what I mean? When everybody yeah. kind of like. All the baby boomers stopped taking. Well, not they all. They were like, them, "Hang on, man! Problems. Millennials are the thing. We're gonna." No, well, Gen X. Well, <laughs> I, and also, it's when the drugs changed. It went from acid to speed. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it went from uh, Pink Floyd to Lemming. Lemmy, yeah, you know. Lemmy, yeah. When the drugs changed and the generations <laughs> changed. You know, I mean, I don't know. But at any rate, Prague is one of my favorite because there's a lot of musicianship, a lot of humor, a lot of like. Uh, you know, good songs, and uh, it's you know it's very British. You know what I mean? If you like it, great. If you don't, you don't. So anyway, it's it's like, it was like a little documentary with some clips of, uh, you know, Genesis, Yes, uh, Wishbone Ash, some of those bands from back then, and oh, it cool. always brings back uh, fond memories of some of those goofy, fun songs when it, when when rock was kind of you know uh, still like still like achieve trying to trying to move forward and do something kind of cool and different you know what i mean nice. it was it was mm-hmm. it was attempting and then after punk it devolved into punk which was necessary and then it's just become like kind of like hard rock and you know whatever we want to call it these days and theatrical and uh oh, but, yeah it got really but weird. you know those guys in the 70s like cooper and the glam guys and all that they pretty much set the template for you what, know what's uh, what's going on now Pretty much. I mean, the fifth, you know, and Jerry thing, Lee Lewis set the stage for Cooper, and you no, know, no, like, no, you, you, know, like you know who set the stage for Cooper was this guy called Screaming Jay Hawkins. I put a spell on you. He was, oh, a, yeah. he was a black dude from the fifties, and he did like a horror host thing with like Voodoo Man or whatever. And that that was like the template for Cooper. Cooper just like took it to a completely different. Uh, yeah, and he's still around, and he's like, they got some band. Now he's called, a golfing Republican. Well, he's in a band called Hollywood Vampires with Joe Perry and uh, Johnny Depp. And, like, basically, Cooper was, like, uh, back in the 70s in Hollywood, they had a group in, in, the, in the bars because they were all a bunch of drunks called the Hollywood Vampires. Keith Moon, Rango, uh, you know, Cooper, John Lennon would show up, Harry Nielsen, and they would, yeah. like, try to out-drink each other. And, you know, they were like this great little thing that happened for a while. And then they all either like split or died or whatever. So basically Cooper and Depp and Joe Perry and McCartney's involved in it. And a lot of other Starting people up again, huh? are, just did an album of cover songs of the band, of the guys that were in Hollywood Vampires. And apparently if they get everything going, they want to tour. You know, not with McCartney, but Cooper and yeah. Perry and Depp and uh, whoever. So it's kind of fun. But anyway, the Prog Rock thing, it's on YouTube. It's fun if you like that kind of stuff. What was the, do you remember the name Prog of it? Prog Rock at the BBC. Oh, okay, Prog Rock at the BBC. Yeah, Prog oh. Rock. That's the thing. A lot of these bands would play on the BBC, but we've never... See, this is something that, you know, yeah. you, you, were not, you were a little kid, but 
we would never get to see them on television because all we no got way. was like Black Oak, Arkansas, or you know, <laughs> uh, or uh, whatever, you know, an yeah. in concert or, or a midnight special. So we never saw them. So now when you see these documentaries on YouTube, it's like it's like reliving my childhood again too, you know. So it's kind of yeah. fun and nostalgic. And what was Cheap Trick? Cheap Trick was Power Pop. Power pop. They came like around '77, so they were kind of like they, their first album had a little bit of punk, but by the second album, it was kind of they started bringing the production in and yeah. started doing songs with cat, you know, hooks and all those that. Was a, they're those, a good band. There, there's one of those bands that like they I, should be in I the Hall of Fame. I can't listen to like the like an entire album, but I like some of their stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and there's a lot of bands like that where I that's cool. You know, I I can't sustain the entire album, but you know, and surprisingly, I really always liked uh, Sticks. Even for how I am, I thought yeah. Sticks was, was... Nostalgic, maybe. You no, know. it's, it's good music, though. Yeah, I, you know, there's a part of me that, that back then was kind of like, oh, this Sticks was a weird band, because they're kind of in that Rush format yeah. where they they combine prog, but they got the heavy metal, you know what I mean? Yeah. We talked about it before. And like, I like Rush a little bit, too. Like, so, yeah, some I like stuff Rush. Rush. You know, of course, Tom Sawyer and... There's a couple of really iconic songs that we know. So deep, we we talked know. about it before. Sticks and 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 Rush was a little bit earlier, but Sticks and Journey and bands like that were uh, bands that kind of came after, like the King Crimson's and the Genesis and the Yeses and all that and the Zeppelins. But what they did was they took all the elements of that and kind of like smoothed it out and made it more mm. commercial sounding. So for that reason, I don't give them props but it does seem nostalgic to me when i hear those songs again you know what i mean i kind of have it i kind of have an enjoyment for them it's kind of interesting to hear them within the context of like a movie or a tv oh, show oh yeah hey you're listening <coughs> to a uh, slow old guy music a go go yeah get off my lawn yeah. go go <laughs> okay this is actually about movies so don't don't hang up we're coming back with movies we're yeah. going to play some trailers and when we come back it's our movie du jour not movies singular movie, movie. cuz we knew we had that interview all right here's some trailers we'll be right back to my party in the house on Haunted Hill, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? You'll see human heads without bodies. Mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. The walls move slowly in against you. Don't try to escape, you can't. Kill me if he could. So far tonight, one of us was almost killed by a falling chandelier. One of us has been driven to the brink of absolute hysteria, and one of us is dead. Were these accidents? Suicide? And we must stay here for six more hours. Are you ready, dear? No. Yeah? Yes. Damn you. 
Pritchard, if you know where she is, you better tell me now. She's gone. She's gone with them. And there's nothing you can do about it. The ghosts are waiting, so won't you join House on Haunted Hill? Hooray. Today was like any other, the hum of daily activity until Reptilicus. A beast born 50 million years out of time, spreading terror in its path, destruction in its wake, towering over the cities of the world. Reptilicus. Invincible, indestructible. Reptilicus. In color from American International, even after you see it, you won't believe it. Reptilicus. Because of a double tragedy and a quirk of fate, the mantle of the presidency fell on unexpected shoulders. Douglas Dillman, the first black president of the United States. No one nominated him. No one elected him. No one wanted him to be the man. Quite a few around. I'd like to find you in a motel on a Sunday morning with the village bimbo. Not his colleagues. The White House doesn't seem near wide enough for me. Not his daughter. How do you get out of the first family anyway? Do you just resign or what? Not even himself. They were expecting Black Messiah. And the rest of the country is going to want him. Uncle Tom. I can't be what everybody wants me to be. Paramount Pictures presents James Earl Jones as The Man. Based on Irving Wallace's best-selling novel, The Man, an ABC Circle film, a Lorimar production, rated G, general audiences. Get your ass to Mars. Yes, The Man. The Man. And then get your ass to Mars. Stick it to The Man. Sure, why not? All right, so what is our movie that we're reviewing this week? This is a weird, weird movie with an, with an interesting actor, which you've probably seen in Rocky... And the Godfather movies, and uh, oh God, uh, Rocky. Was, he was in Rocky, dude. He was in Rocky one and two. Joe Spinell was in the Rocky movies. Where yeah. was he? Oh, he was a lone shark, I think, in one of them. And uh, he always played like tough, you know, Italian, you know, like gangster types. He was in, uh, I, I God, he was in a ton of. Oh, movies. was he the guy that Rocky was working for? I think so. Yeah, he was the lone shark. Because remember, was he was for. like, you go make sure give him our money back, and you're like, oh God, I'll go do that. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, what's the name of this movie? This movie is the last horror film from 1982. The last horror film, and I didn't know anything about this, and I, I watched it cold, and I clicked it on, and I was like, oh, damn it, Doctor Morbius, a trauma film. It's not a trauma film. Let's try. It has a they, trauma they, intro. They um, bought it and re. Okay. They, they bought the rights to it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I went into this going, I'm gonna hate this, cause you know what? I kind of don't like trauma films. Yeah. Uh, I tried. Yeah. I've really tried to like them, and I just don't. Yeah. And uh, and then, uh, but then I was watching this. And I was like, well, this re- is re- this works. Like, I actually like this film. It's a weird movie. Um, it's a weird movie, but it's it worked, and it was it was good. And I was like, this doesn't seem like a trauma no, film, but not. but I just watched it, you know, because you just. To- Troma distributed it. It was uh, it was put out by whatever company that he. It's a you know less eighties low budget. You know, I mean, I just picked it because it was like oh. Carolyn Monroe. Okay, I'd like to watch another movie with her. We saw her in Star Crash and yeah. she was in bad movies or whatever. She was just she was just wearing some weird makeup and hair that skunk. That hair. hair was odd and long and like 
just very, it was it was interesting. This is a very interesting movie. Well, you know what it reminded me of. I don't know if you remember as a kid in MTV. Do you remember there was a there was a video for an Adam Ant song called Goody Two Shoes? That was her. <laughs> And she's got the same ma- the same hair and Wait, makeup. Wait, that was on. her? That was Carolyn Monroe. Yeah, she's the girl in Goody Two Shoes that does the wow. dancing with them or whatever. Yeah. Huh. So I was like, oh, that's cool. So she's wearing the same makeup as uh, as in the Adam Ant video or whatever. Yeah, there you go. We're about bring- some, yeah, it's all. It, yeah, I'm bringing back like childhood memories now. Yeah. It's all. It's surprising how many uh, actresses and actors were in those movie those videos. They would show up every once in a while because it was a it was you know a way to get your face and you mm-hmm. know if you if imagine if you're some actress and you get in a hit video you can get a movie out of it you know mm-hmm. what I mean and it's just way to get publicity it's true make a few yeah. bucks or whatever well now before we get into this movie what's what do you what's your take on trauma films like what do you oh, I'll tell you exactly what yeah. I mean it's like um they're for a different generation. They're for a generation that like um, they're like uh, they're, when when you try so hard to make a, a B movie, you know, sometimes it falls flat, and I think that's what happens with trauma. Sometimes just tries too hard. They try too hard, but they have an audience. Oh yeah, I'm sure. There's people that buy those movies, and they're really more disgusting than the other ones. And they created some characters like uh, you know, toxic. toxic Avenger, and you know stuff like that. So they kind of got. I, I, re- I what I remember was actually more like guys from Gen X guys like you. Where when I was working at the comic shop, like I, I was talking to some B movie guys, younger guys, and they were like, "Oh yeah, man, Toxic Avenger and." This and that and the other thing. So they were kind of like that was almost like their gen, the movies for their generation. You right. know what I mean? I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. You know, but they were ultra gory and like you know and all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, I can take it or leave it. You know, yeah. I mean, it was more goofy. You know, I like the movies where it's like even though they're they're goofy and badly made, somebody's actually trying to put some psychological thing in it or something to right. give it like not just a, like lowest common denominator exactly you know? yeah because like you could liken tra- uh, trauma to, to to Roger Corman but not no. at all because Corman like he has a formula that works but his movies are actually some of them are real gems some yes. of those movies that are put out under under Corman are incredible films and I'll stand by that you'll mm-hmm. go oh it's just a movie no they are well like some of them are very well written they're always shot at least fairly competently mm-hmm. you yeah, know yeah. it's one of those things where I, like they get lumped together sometimes no. I'm like no 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 that's no Corman in the 60s actually picked up they, they would find really really good actors yeah. and really really Before good young there. directors hell Coppola Scorsese De Niro, Hopper, of course, Brian De Palma, know. Hopper, Peter Fonda, yeah. all you name it, all these people came out of uh, of uh, Corman, uh, uh, Corman, you yeah. know, and and and, and Troma comes up with like you know the Scream Queens were in Troma movies, okay, you know they were fun for a while, you know Julie yeah. Strain and Brink Stevens and Michelle Bauer and all that, and I love them. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. Fred Olin Ray did the same thing. We were, we were, you know, we were talking about him in the interview, which we'll play later. Right. Later, he was kind of like a he was kind of like a guy who was influenced by Roger Corman. So he decided to make his own kind of Roger Corman movies. But since he was making them in the '80s, he had to up the gore and the boobage and the yeah. you know, and the weirdness. Or and that's whatever. where it misses. Like, it's it, you can tell it's so like manufactured. There's, mm-hmm. you know. If there was that kind of stuff in some of the B movies, it had a reason for being there. Usually, you know, mm-hmm. if you're just gonna try to exploitation for exploitation's sake, you can just—it's soulless. You can tell it. You—you're disengaging your audience who should be engaged in this whole thing. You're like, okay, you know, 
but but a lot of people yeah. a lot love of, them, I guess. A yeah. lot well, a lot of people like um that don't like well whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't call them. A, let's say we're aficionados and they're like observers of us that are amused by our like interest in all these movies. Well, might pick up a trauma movie and go like. Oh, that's really goofy and funny. I'm sure, like, you know, he'll like it. And you'll go, like, well, not really. And they go, well, why? It's a B movie, you know. And they don't understand all the... Uh, <laughs> the little nuance, subtle all nuances. The nuances that we kind of like in our in our little world of whatever, you know. Of stupidity? Yeah, well, whatever, have, you know. So it, it's actually, Troma is like a B movie kind of for people that really sometimes don't know what a B movie is so they'll go oh I want to watch a B movie let's watch uh, Redneck Bikers by or, Troma or Poultry Guys and you're or like, Poultry Ugh. Guys some of them might be funny I haven't seen them all I've only seen a few but yeah they'll pick them up and go oh yeah that's a B movie whereas well, uh, well yeah it is but you know if you want to really watch a real one watch like uh you know, Women in Cages or The Glory Stompers or something yeah. from the 60s and early 70s, which is Roger Corman at his peak doing like uh, doing something where, where regardless of where, where it was an attempt to make a movie and but it was we were exploiting, but it was an attempt to make a movie. And at times people were actually trying to put in really serious ideas. And there however, was some really serious, like, you know, like anti-establishment or things like that, which yeah. sometimes fell flat. But you at least they were trying, you know, whereas yeah. these movies. All they're trying they're to trying do is outgross you or be stupid or whatever. True story. Before we move on, because we'll move on. Uh, when I it was, it must have been in the mid '90s, early to mid '90s. I saw this was in the DVD craze, and for those of you who weren't around for the DVD craze, wow. Yeah, it was a good time. The DVDs, it was a machine. You just bought and bought and bought. Yep. Like, yep. I have closets of DVDs because yep. it was the thing to do. And Troma had a a box set you could buy. And I almost blind bought this mm. thing, but it it was like $2,000. It was everything. It was their entire, entire catalog, you know. And in the mid-90s, that was quite a... That was a lot of movies, you know. But then I, I was doing the math, and I had... It would have been a total blind buy, because I've never... I never watched mm. hardly any of them. And I was like, I don't know. And I was doing the math, and it was like... It turned out to be like $38 a DVD, and I'm like... Whoa, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it was... They priced themselves out, you know. I'm sure if they would have had $200 box set of everything they've ever done, it would have been sitting in everyone's closet, mostly unopened, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I'm glad I didn't, because then I watched one or two of them, and I was like, oh, God, I'm glad I didn't do this, you know. I'll give Choma some props. They um, they distributed some interesting movies, like the one we're going we're to talk about mm -hmm. now, another one. So they, they were also a distribution company as well as a production. I mean... Yeah. And I'm not just railing on them. I just don't like this stuff. You know, I mean, much to they like... They do have a very huge follow. Or not huge. They have a good, good following. You know? I mean, much to like what people believe or whatever. Or, you know, however you want to say it. You know, my opinion, which I think might... I don't know. It's my opinion. I think I have a pretty strong argument. The real exploitation and the real B-movies was like 50s... Mostly in... They were in the 40s and 30s, of course. But really hit their stride in the 50s, 60s, 70s. In the 80s, it became a different kind of beast. Petered out. Yeah, it was totally different. It, it was still it, there, but it became a different beast. Yeah. You know, it was Because of, of the home video market. Yeah, yeah. That's what changed it. You That's know, exactly right, yeah. They, they, it had to evolve because it's sitting next to 20 other exploitation movies. Yeah. So it had to ramp up. It had to have some kind of hook. And that's what changed it, really. I mean, you can't just say ours is the, the most boobs or ours is the, yeah. the most gory. Because it won't be. Next week, there'll be a one that's worse. And then and there's 
if there's no reason to pick it up and watch it, then there's no reason. And I, and I think and I think the genre. I mean, this again, my opinion, but I think I'm right, but I could be wrong. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, I think what changed the whole exploitation was the uh, slasher movie. Then mm-hmm. that became the uh, you know that became the you know the the, the most popular genre for many oh, years. Oh yeah, kind of changed. Even though that Halloween and something. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah. That really like really like scarred the minds of a lot of a new generation you know what it I mean? changed it it, yes. it it really did make it much more important to have good practical effects good uh horror slasher things because the ones that ma- that worked it was a very visceral like like wow grabbed your attention you know uh and those are the ones that everyone remembers halloween like i said halloween uh right at 13th nightmare yeah. on elm street was i have the box set and i'm not a big slasher fan I love Freddy Freddy Krueger. He's yeah. he, he's such an iconic character, and Robert Englund. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah guy's yeah, the, yeah. the master, you know. Yeah, but it it became a different a different uh, animal. And at that point, even I, being like not that you know in my twenties still was like, eh, this isn't this isn't the this isn't my the, my creature feature. This isn't yeah. my even though there were elements of everything that went from the eighties up. Oh, of course, you know. You know that it was all taken from there. But I go, this isn't my creature feature. This is a little bit. Maybe this like, ain't your mama's creature yeah, feature, you I mean. know. You're like, uh, in a lot of ways, it was maybe a little like nastier in a lot of ways, and 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 more sh- more like like the characters were like um they were, they were maybe over over the top in a different way. I don't know what to mean. I still watch them though, and I still do get enjoyment out of some of them, yeah. mostly before because of the actors that are in them, as opposed to the characters or the storylines or the effects. You know, because I get. I don't care about gore effects, you know. I think what's left to the imagination is is even worse than the showing like you know oh, intestines yeah. popping out. But I know that you really do want to have a gore effect or two in a movie just because it's it's viscerally you know shocking. But uh. but what's left afterwards is even worse, you know what I mean? It's like it's like we watched that movie Scream Bloody Murder, you know, the one that you said the guy was the biggest sociopath you ever saw in a movie. Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah. until this one we were just going to talk about. <laughs> but there was hardly any gore in that movie. You know, it was all like implied, you know, but it was really yeah. like, it really like sticks in your brain, you know, the psychological weirdness of a movie, and then the impact of everything else is is a lot stronger. Whereas Freddy Krueger became a cartoon character. Oh yeah, by two a and horrible th- by one. two and three, it was like okay, you know, and, you a know, horrible cartoon you know, character. Slash somebody up, some stupid quip. R- rinse, repeat, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, you know, it's, it just was the same stuff. And, of course, the psychological thing about it is is that, okay, so this guy, Freddy Krueger, was a child molester, and now he's like a, now he's like a, a funny serial killer, you know, <laughs> just think about all the screwed up crap in that. Not not that good, you know, but yeah. but it was overpowered by the performance, and England was very good in those movies, and I did see the first one in the theater, and of course Johnny Depp was in the first movie. Oh yeah, so. Ocean and, and, of Blood. And and people in the theater were like knew him, so they were like Johnny, go Johnny. And I'm going like, wow, who's him? You know. <laughs> and then years later, of course, he was in uh, the 21 Jump Street, and he became a big star and whatever. Big star. Know. But oh my yeah, God. the slasher was like it's almost like the slasher was like the slasher movie to horror was like almost like punk rock was to classic rock in Prague you know it was like the breaking point you know uh, it was like a it was like the end of an era the beginning of a new one for a big reset kind of thing, yeah, yeah big reset yeah so anyway so what, so are, what this is this movie? Mo- this movie okay the last horror film mm. Joe Spinell the lead actor who was like I said he was a tough he was a big Italian 
character actor in New York movies, pretty much mainly New York movies in the seventies. Oh, had to be know. all New York all the time. Yeah, all the gangster <laughs> things and all the you know. Um, yeah. He he did one of the infamous slasher movies called Maniac, which was like one of the in Britain they called them video nasties, but it was influenced because it influent it was very influential because it was like. Yeah, the one of the one of the worst slashers because Tom Savini, the guy from Dawn of the Dead, wow, yeah. did the effects. So it was really good effects, and it was a really nasty psychological, you know, kind of Joe Spinell again doing the yeah. similar thing in this movie. You know, Savini has a uh, has a class. You can you can go up to Savini a has a of a, a, a special effects school. That's cool. You can go up and do that, and then once you graduate from it, you go to work in movies. Well, you know, from, you know uh, the, the Sean Donahue movie we're going to talk about next had good special effects and those were made yeah. for like $7,000, you know, so you can you don't have to go to Tom Savini's, you can go and get Study your craft. Stuff, I mean, a, a, a friend of ours, well, someone we know, not a friend, but someone we know, a local, a Marco Anginella. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does them. a lot of those special effects and he's really good at it. He, He's hardcore with that stuff you know he's really good and as we talked about before when we'll, the interview we'll talk about it well you know the, com the the difference between effects and cgi whereas like a visceral effect whether you see like you know you know you see like whatever something ripping out of somewhere or whatever yeah it really gets you more than say like you know a cgi version of it or some kind of yeah uh, you know but i mean you know whatever everything is everything works together and it's like a big whole pot of whatever so you yep. use it all to your best at any rate the last horror film isn't a sequel to maniac but it it's it's Joe Spinell's second, you know, greatest horror movie or whatever. I don't think yeah. he did any more after this, and it was his leading, another leading role for him, you know, wow. playing like a psychologically screwed up uh, yeah. stalker dude. Yeah, he he really likes um, Stella Monroe. What's her name? Uh, the yeah, okay. Stella Star. He's, he's, he loves, uh, her name is is Jana. What was her last name? I forgot what her last name was, but Jana something or other. Yeah. He's got pictures of her on the wall. He's like a real, like... Crazy with her. Lives at home with mom. He's a taxi driver, you know, like in New York. You know, people make fun of him. He's... You know, whatever, and he's and he's he wants to be a filmmaker. He has an Oscar on the dash of his taxi. Yeah, he has it's an so Oscar great. on the dash of his taxi. Yeah, and it's funny he's sitting in his taxi reading that horror magazine Starburst or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, so it's yeah. like the the last horror film was is a very interesting title to me because I was like, okay, that that could imply a lot of different yeah, things. You yeah. know, this is the last real one ever made. Yeah. This is his last one. What are we talking about here? You know, uh, so it's kind of interesting. That was intriguing. Um, and the whole the whole thing about the movie was, you know, he's talking about stalkers, but there's, they're always making mention of like the guy taxi driver and Hinkley. Yeah, and the guy is that the one that like Jody Foster? Jody Foster tried to kill Reagan. Yeah, jo yeah, that guy. And all that kind of stuff. So they were really touching on like you know that whole like you know they were trying to say something psychological thing. Yeah, yeah you know, and and like you know Spinell's like I mean he takes it to like the you know this this movie's pretty visceral you know and i mean the first scene he's in a movie theater and he's watching some horror movie and he's like you know having fun oh, with yeah. himself and people are like oh look at you're gross or whatever yeah. you know? there was a good way to show very fake boobs. oh they, they were been badly bad that was that was boobs. that was 70s early 80s the fake boob technology was far from good it, it, yeah i got better a few years later <laughs> but yeah so he's like watching this movie, and then we find out that he's like obsessed with this character, Carolyn Monroe's character, and, yeah. he, and he's saving up his money to go to the Cannes Film Festival in France in order to make a movie with her and his God, mom. That, that would it, be cool to go there. It, it, it didn't it look cool, all the movie posters. Oh my and God! All the, Can you imagine just going from screening women? to screening, <laughs> from screen to screen, like just going around and just being watching all these movies? 
Did you notice that when 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 they went to they showed the one of the movie theaters or one of the movies they were showing were Cannibal Holocaust and I'm like oh my god no yeah it was like, what Ooh. Roger Moore Roger Moore's uh, Bond was prominently displayed whether they wanted to or not yeah and actors were in the movies whether they wanted to be or not Marcello Mastroianni was in <sighs> and I saw Chris Christopherson Kathy Lee Crosby the one guy who actually started uh, who actually started being one of the uh, was a character in this movie. I thought it was accidentally the bass player from Van Halen. Oh, Michael. Yeah. yeah that's who he looked like. He Michael looked Anthony. Just, yeah. He looked just like Michael Anthony back when he was huge on roids. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he did look like Michael Anthony. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what's that? Because you didn't know. He wasn't part of the movie yet. And he went in front of the camera when they when he, when he he got into that discotheque. And I was like, was that the bass player from Van Halen? Yeah, Michael Anthony. <laughs> That's awesome. There's just no reason. He's just there. Yeah. Running around being a goofball. He just, he just decided to make a movie with Joe Spinell while they were on vacation yeah. or whatever. So anyway, so he goes to like the Cannes Film yeah, Festival. Yeah, so he gets there. He flies. He, he leaves New York. With his camera. Says goodbye to his mom. Yeah, and he, exactly, that, that thing with his mom is funny because they're always angry and cussing at each other but that's like typical Italian family I guess. or whatever old school when he packed his clothing I'm like this is weird He like he's like I'm going mom and he like puts his his uh, luggage on the bed and he's just throwing he throws a cape in there and he throws something I was like no socks no underwear huh no bro just, just, just you're just hey, going huh? hey, he, yeah, he was yeah. the three wheel in 70s and yeah, I was yeah. like ugh yikes yeah. no deodorant no nothing no alright yeah, yeah. yeah he looked kind of yeah. sweaty and you know but that was Joe Spinell man <laughs> he, looked, he looked rough he, looked he like didn't want to break character <laughs> yeah he didn't want to break character you know so then he goes to the Cannes Films Festival and then he's trying to He's trying to meet Jenna, but she's protected by her cold oh, yeah. group of people, yeah. and they're like pushing him away. The entourage, and, is, that. and he he tries on numerous occasions. He tries to <sighs> he tries to just directly call her, and he tries to like get into where she is to meet her. He's he's trying to, and when he when they got to France, now this is stock footage orama. I mean, sure. th- there is a lot of like of just stock footage of the Cannes Festival. Well, of they call it, you know what they call it guerrilla filmmaking where they people just take their cameras and just shoot wander in around places, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, almost like a documentary in a way. But like the first thing you see when when they actually get back, they do the stock footage and boobs and things and stuff. And they 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 show him, he's in his room in this hotel and the room is already postered, plastered with this girl's picture yeah how many pictures did did Kelly Monroe give him of her because it has like hundreds of pictures of her on the wall yeah, yeah. and he's like really really like you know Hankly obsessed you yeah know? he's crazy you know and he's looking out and he's like oh and then um and I read somewhere I'm sorry to read the, but there's an interesting thing I read in, in, in the thing that uh, John Wayne Gacy actually wanted um, if they were going to make a movie of him they, he wanted Joe Spinell to play him. Oh of course God. why wouldn't he he <laughs> looks like him he probably acts a little bit like him you know oh god but anyway yeah but yeah very it, it's interesting because the, the whole thing is so now we have this, the, the, the obsessed stalker, stalker. slash filmmaker uh, we have him kind of the movie goes in and out of like a stream of consciousness where he's slipping into his imagination where he's this mm-hmm. great director and and everyone's applauding and he always whenever he goes into his alter ego in his mind the guy has like a cape and <laughs> and a weird hat and he's smoking one of those cigarettes on the end of a stick sometimes i think yeah, right? yeah right and he's and it's just very grandiose and you can tell it's a dream sequence there's no um you know there's no uh, confusion Logic, of that yeah, you know right. yeah. uh and then he just kind of hops back and forth of trying to get to meet this woman and and i guess 
It starts to become a murder mystery because they're starting to get threatening yeah. letters. They don't ever show him killing anybody. No, but they show like a film strip, and then the, he like marks the film strip with the ki- the person that he wants to kill, and then he puts an X through them or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's weird. So then he's like, they get th- death threats, and then like one day, like Carolyn Monroe sitting there with her husband, or she had left her husband and went with another a photo guy. shoot, yeah, or something. And it's a photo shoot, and then like all of a sudden, like the 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 new guy gets his head chopped off or whatever and then like you know, then they cut to Joe Spinell so you're thinking that he's the guy who's doing it yeah. you know what I mean see they leave it up in the air because there is a twist ending to this yeah there's a twist ending so then he's trying to the, clo- the closer he gets you know whatever you know the more the murders start happening I think one time he wants to go into a disco and they don't let him yeah. and then he comes back with the film camera yeah that's when he comes back and, yeah, they, he goes right right in with a camera and he the whole time he is filming her Yes, he is. So he is, and he's, he's making, making his, a, movie. a movie. She doesn't know it, uh, but he's making this movie, and he's piecing it together like, almost like she's the star. He's following this and in, and creating this intrigue, you know. Exactly right. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of cool, and it, that's that is where, I mean, I was surprised at how well this did work, uh-huh. uh, as far as the framing device, where they were, how he was doing this. I was like, okay, this is. This kind of makes sense logically how this is going. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that he's he's you know that he's actually trying to create this horror, so he's making a horror movie. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean it's it's a movie within a movie kind of. Yep. It's a pretty it's pretty adventurous for the low budget that they did because basically they didn't have any budget, but they said let's go to the Cannes Film Festival and shoot there and get all this free footage or whatever that we wouldn't have gotten. So you got this beautiful. French countryside that they shoot. Mm-hmm. You got these beautiful castles at the end where they do the final scene. You yeah, know? yeah. And then you got the Cannes Film Festival. So the, for a movie that costs like pretty much nothing to make, it's pretty impressive what they did. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. the, I mean, they, the you know the camera work was fine. It could have been a little bit better. You know, it was a little murky to watch at times. You know, but it, I wasn't sure if that was the print or if that was the oh the YouTube video. Yeah, the we YouTube video that we were watching. I, 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 I think I'm gonna try to see if I can get a a better copy of it and check yeah. it out because it wasn't bad but no, anyway it was a good movie actually. but anyway people are getting off now now it's becoming a murder mystery you know yeah. people people are getting killed the manager gets killed the uh, the, the guy looks like Michael Anthony gets yeah, killed yeah cause, cause there's some there's some also like some backbiting where everyone's trying to get a piece of Jenna yeah but the the husband or boyfriend I mean has her on lockdown like everything has to go through him he has to direct everything she ever does so he's kind of uh, a biter, a, like a hanger on her, where he's got this girlfriend, she likes him, and he's locked it down where he controls everything. So then he dies. Now the other two are scheming to like kind of get her her into their pictures, and they want to get their part, and they don't know if the guy disappeared or is dead. Right. You know. Right. But then they now he's dead, and then the other guy, like then these two, like you said, get bumped off in very odd fashion. You know, it was like okay. Um, the, the ugliest Porsche I've ever seen. The, there's one scene where they're driving this Porsche, and it's a it's French, and you know it's this bright orange 911 from the <laughs> early, from the late 70s, but it has two gigantic sprite bug eye lights on the middle of the hood. Mm. It's very weird. I've never yeah, seen but one. What, but what do you think about like the that. Corvette at the beginning? Though? That was so cool and so funny. <laughs> with with guy, the tax on. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they were even doing there. Like this yeah. guy drops him off. You don't know who he, he is. He's at the beginning of the he's, movie. He's at the very beginning. He drops him off. He's like, yeah, everyone thinks I'm from Texas, but I'm not. I don't care. Yeah. And he has this red 78 Corvette with 
stars and stripes stripe up the middle of it, and yeah. then the back half of it is blue with stripes. You know, uh-huh. it's like an American just. And then even they even have like the letters Corvette on it. Oh yeah. In case you didn't know. And then she like some French girl taps the thing. He's like yeehaw, and he just lights them up and starts burning out. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It was very cartoonish and funny, you know. It was. It added some. And he levity. shows up at some point later in the movie too. She runs no past him in yeah. the towel. Yeah, yeah, because Joe Spinell finally gets yeah. to her. Yeah. In her hotel room, he's like, yeah, he climbs up all. Into <laughs> he, the, he climbs into a second or third story. Yeah, window. right. As if you know. <laughs> so he gets in there and he's like, oh, I finally got you. Well, she's taking a shower. I finally got you. You know, we got to make a movie. Look, I brought you some champagne. It's your favorite kind. I remember reading it in some article. Yeah, like, he's okay, like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then she like slaps him or pushes him. And he goes nuts and he breaks the champagne bottle. I've he, never seen a bottle break like that. Exactly that was very. Like that that yeah. was very. It was a great murder weapon. I mean, yeah, it was a two-pronged glass fork. I was like, whoa. So he's getting close to her, like if he's gonna kill her, and then she like puts a move on him and knocks him down. Oh no, she 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 browbeats him and he starts crying or something. Yeah, right? he like loses. He's rattling apart. And, and she, she takes off with her towel running through the street. And what was holding can. that towel on? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. So but close. They, but it was like, did. oh, come on. Yeah. yeah so yeah. she runs past the guy who's leaning on the Corvette with all these girls on him. I'm yeah, like, right. okay. Yeah, right. So she ends up, uh, like, at it. She's, she's supposed to be giving, getting the Cannes Film Award for a horror movie the first time ever. You yeah, know? okay. I was like, yeah, that's going to happen. And then they got some body double. There was some double shenanigans. Or yeah, they, yeah. Remember yeah, that girl that looked just like you at the airport? Well, we hired her to be you. And you're like, that wouldn't work. Yeah, I guess but whatever. confusing. You know. So she ends up back with her boyfriend or whatever. So he decides he's going to take her out to the country to hide her, you know, from the killer or whatever. Mm. So they end up at that French castle there, which is really nice. And, you know, there's some nice scenes in there or whatever. And then, you know, then the murders, the murders start happening there. Right. And then uh, Joe Spinell shows up. He, with his camera, he's like... He's like, oh, this is perfect. This is the perfect ending to my movie. Yeah, right. And then there's like armed guards. are like, who is that? And then you come running out and shooting at him, and he's running away. And you're like, ah. So that, so then it ends where he finally gets a hold of her, and he's gonna do like he's gonna shoot his final death scene in his Dracula cape and blah 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 <laughs> and this so and that. Stupid. And he does like the actual like the vampire stake through the heart, and then it's like you know it's fake or whatever you know what I mean. So she's like wakes up or whatever, and then all of a sudden out of the blue comes the guy the the husband the I first think. guy who killed him or who, who thought you thought was that dead that is yeah and he's still alive and it turns out he's the guy who was like doing all the murdering because yeah. he wanted to get her back or whatever I don't know yeah you know? so at the end um he kills him yeah with a chainsaw with a chainsaw yeah so yeah because the guy's like the guy's gonna kill her and then he you know Spinell gets away. And as the guy's walking out with her, like Spinell, like goes in and can chainsaws the guy. Then the cops come, and then you go, huh? And then the last scene is just him showing the movie to his mother. Yeah, and it says the end, and you're like, that's weird. And then they pans back, and they're sitting on the bed in the apartment, and he's it, it was him and his mom watched. This. And he gives her and he has smoke, and he gives her a joint. She's like, you got a joint, and he's like, yeah. So it's in it. So was this a movie? Was it? Yeah, it ends in like a really weird, you know. It was an inch. Th- that's what I mean. It was one of those catch endings where you're like, okay, that's cool. Wait, what? All right. Well, uh, wait, what? Like, were you with him the whole time? Were they just watching this movie, or was it all make made well, up? Yeah, it was I very. Mean, were we being played the whole time? See, that's like kind of neat that there's like a little bit of intrigue. There's they, a little they, bit of imagination. They too, thought yeah. about this. 
It wasn't yeah. just some random bullshit, you know. Yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was a fun movie. It was very weird, very 70s. If you like the 70s or But it's, like but it's from 82. Well, yeah, 70s, early 80s. But it's 80s. 88. Early, late, early 80s is almost like the late it's 70s. A, it's the same, yeah. There wasn't dramatic change. Yeah, the, the hair started time. getting poofier and bigger, yeah. but, you know. But anyway. So did the boobs. Boobs were much yeah. poofier, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what are you going to give this thing? I'm going to give it an 8. I'd never seen it before. I just picked yeah. it for Carolyn Monroe. I said, oh, it looks like a nice copy on YouTube. And I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. You know, Just Pennell's good. I'm going to roll with a 7.5, you know. It was a yeah, solid Just, movie, fun Just movie. Just Pennell's always a good... He played a good sicko. He was really like... He was almost too good. Yeah. And that boy, I, I went in with the worst of attitudes. When I saw that... Trauma guy. The trauma guy sitting there next to a toilet. He's like, all these bastards keeping us down. That's why we're not in business anymore. You were like, oh, he picked a trauma movie. That I son did. Of I guy. was like, oh, come on, man. But it's not. But yeah, it wasn't. I thought Dr. Morbius got me, but he didn't. No, it was, no. it was, he was actually... Gave, it was a great movie, so... Yeah, so there you go. There you go. Go out and see it. The last horror film. film. Not to be confused, but don't go... I've never seen... There's a one called The Last Horror Movie. That's not the same. It's film. Last okay. Horror Film from 1982. Or Last Specific. Picture Show. With, I, uh, I did see a young Last Jeff, Picture Show. Young uh, Jeff Bridges. Yes. Right? And, uh, yeah. And that's a good movie, actually. Wow. Shot All right. Okay. We're going to go to a trailer break. And then when we come back, it's interview time. So buckle up. Alrighty then. Thunder Fist. The Martial Arts Executioner. Master in the lethal art of open-hand combat and all its unbelievable secrets. Action, power, excitement, mystery, suspense, intrigue, thunderfist. Revealing the ancient oriental art as never before seen in the western world. Thunderfist. Rated PG. The film that dares to probe the black depths of hell. Now the resurgent interest in this bizarre, weird world of ancient witchcraft and ceremonial magic is brought to you in all its stark terror and nightmarish horror. Blood orgy of the she-devils. The spook who sat by the door. The controversial best-selling novel now becomes a shocking screen reality. The story of the first black agent in the CIA. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. For five years, he was their token Negro. He kept his cool and let himself be used. And in return, they taught him how to spy, how to fight, and how to kill. For five years, he was the spook who sat by the door. And then, he turned the American dream into a nightmare. This is not about hate white folks. It's about love and freedom enough to die or kill for it if necessary. The Spook Who Sat By The Door. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. This sort of thing ain't my bag, baby. All right, as we alluded to earlier, this is our local film, Tampa filmmaker. Local guy, really cranking out some good stuff. Uh, Sean Donahue. Now you met him through a friend, is that yeah, right? Yeah, my, my friend in Miami uh, told me about him. His, You're going through he, Miami. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he, he worked with his dad, and he said, well, you know, you should get it. You should, uh, my friend Alex said, you should get in contact with Sean because he's 
he's into your kind of movies and he's making a bunch of movies in Tampa and they're getting yeah. good publicity and stuff. So finally we were able to find, we'll get, get together. A hold of them, yeah. It is a little bit noisy because this is in, this was uh, recorded in a Hooters, but eh, we did some, uh, we've, we got seated up a little bit, so it, it's listenable. So this is the guy who's responsible for Die, Die, Delta Pi. And, uh, uh, and Joe Vampire. Joe Vampire. All right. so um, Two cool movies, which yeah. you should check out. Yeah, very fun. And what's a Gator Blade Gator films? Blade Films. Yeah, you go to Gator Blade, so GatorBladeFilms.com online and yeah. you can find out more about it. Yeah, he's this. the man. So here is the interview. Back in the old days, you could sell movies at video stores. You could sell movies at Best Buy. You could have movies distributed everywhere. Now what? what how do you do it? Well, uh, the market's definitely changed. Now, I mean, uh, one of the best ways to sell your movie is advertising it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, getting professional copies of your movie made, you know, find a duplicator, there's a lot of them out there that do that, and then just basically advertising yourself and selling it and, and reaching an audience person to person. And, you know, you can talk to these people and fans of your movie and people that watch it and get a lot of criticism, positive and negative from them, and I found that's the best way. Um, and then the next step is, you know, once you have that, you know, try try broader distribution. Um, you know, send your movie to distributors, find out who they are, do your research, and, you know, reach an even wider audience. And you can still make money off your movie, you just have to know how to do it. And, and you know, the industry's changed, you just have to be willing to change with it. What about that? What about advertising in the horror magazines? Like famous monsters, Fangoria. I actually looked into that recently. I'm not, definitely not opposed to that. But for me personally, for what you get out of it, it's it's a little too expensive. I still like advertising myself and, and building my own audience um, rather than spending money in someone else's magazine, crossing my fingers, hoping that someone will see it and buy my movie. No. What about doing? Uh the horror convention circuit. I know it's expensive. To that's something that's new to me. I'm, I'm actually going to start doing that uh, next year. I plan on going to uh, Days of the Dead Atlanta and possibly Cinema Wasteland in Ohio, I believe. Oh, yeah. um, I've had other colleagues, friends, Steve Byro, on Earth Films. I know does that a lot. And sure, it does cost money, and you may break even, you may lose money, but you'll get to meet a lot of people, new connections. Um, you know, you'll get to put yourself out there, and you know, I think that's that's uh, actually a good way to, to advertise yourself, even if it is costly. Um, it's something I haven't tried yet that I want to yeah, try. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that because it, that way you get your movie shown too in front of an audience, you know. And that Definitely. People start talking and they watch it on the big screen and whatever, you know. So, and that's the way to go. And another thing too that I was thinking about is like, I, you set up like a, a film premiere for one of your for Delta Pi, right? Your last movie was that Die Die Delta Pi. Right. And you saw the movie premiere. How did that go? Um, it went it went pretty well. We 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 actually had trouble. We had a, a venue that agreed to show our movie, and two days before the showing, they canceled on us. So I had all these people lined up to come down. You know, I had people from North Carolina, California, people from all over that worked on that movie, and some of them even bought plane tickets to be there that day. So it was really hard for me to tell them I'm sorry. The venue that we had canceled on us, and we're not having the show. Why did they do that? Because they're dicks. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we found a new venue. Um, I haven't I haven't worked with them in a while. I actually I can't remember. I, I, I apologize. I can't remember where we showed it. At. It was in, it was in South Tampa. Um, but anyway, we found a new venue. We got a lot of the cast crew back. We had a premiere. You know, everyone got to see the movie for the first time. 
and uh, it was a really fun, enjoyable experience. And most recently, I'm, I'm having another premiere at the end of this month for my new movie, Death Court Service. Where's that? Um, it's going to be at the Tampa Picture Show on Dale Mabry. Um, really fun place. Uh, the guy, the guy who runs at Wayne Valenti. Um, really likes to cater to uh, local independent filmmakers. Oh, good. So, yeah, end of this month, end sorry. Of August. End okay. of August. Cool. Well, how about, I, here's an idea. What about a drive-in? There's a few drive-ins still left. In, yeah, I know exactly. The drive, I know the drive-in and the Naples one just... I love the drive-in. I love the, I've always wanted to do that. There's actually a drive-in right next to my house called the Ruskin Drive-In. It's one of the few drive-ins yeah left in in the nation i think uh, there was a, there was an article posted a while back my friend Andy lolino i think posted it i want to say there's only maybe 20 to 30 drive-ins left in the u.s like yeah. some maybe even less um, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. anyway this particular drive-in they don't show horror r-rated movies and that's typically the kind of stuff i make so that's not a possibility so you know i might have to try funland drive-in i think there's another one there's a locality. yeah so i've never i've never tried that but i definitely so will enjoy it family drive-in or something? Um, I mean, they only play PG-13 or PG movies. Oh, that, that so. in City? It's in Ruskin. Okay. Yeah, because that would be a perfect Halloween thing. To uh, like I said, I've, I've been wanting to do it for a while, but I just haven't found the right venue, and um, Wayne Wayne Valenti at the Tempest show just gives me a, you know, a really yeah, good, deal, and, good deal. You know, and it seems to be like the common meeting ground where people do these types of things, so I'm going to you know keep doing it there until something else comes up I guess. So, so what was the what was the catalyst? Because you're a horror fan. I know you said it you said in an interview you all just want to do horror movies. Right. Forever. What was the Um I mean as a as a child I always had a love for movies and, and horror movies. Horror and comedy are probably my favorite yeah, yeah, yeah. genres. Delta Pi is kind of a horror comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I mean growing up I just always had a love for, for movies and, and in high school I um started to you know get a little more serious about it and I was like all right let me start taking some classes and you know and try to further my career in doing this so I took a, a drama class I think uh, in my sophomore year of high school and in, in that class we mostly studied acting and, and that type of thing and I really learned from myself how bad of an actor I was and at the time you know all I really wanted to do in movies was be an actor you know because that's all I really knew I never thought about you know being behind, being the, behind the camera and all the, the things you know involved with that so after learning that about myself I was like man well I suck as an actor but I, I, I want to make movies I want to be involved in that so what else can I do and so I took a uh, next year I took a TV production class and I started learning you know how cameras work how editing works and that kind of thing and I'm like wow I was like I really like I think I like this more you know than being the actor um, so after high school I went to uh, USF uh, for I think seven years and I changed my major about five six times It was really kind of a strange time for me I didn't really know where I was going or what I wanted to be so eventually towards the end I started taking a lot of art classes drama classes and um, I think the closest I got was uh, they had a film appreciation class where we basically watched movies and wrote synopsis about them and turned them in anyway they didn't have exactly they didn't have the program exactly what I wanted I wanted to go to film school and after being rejected from FSU Film School, where I originally wanted to go, I'm like, man, you know, I don't know what to do. That's all I want to do, and I don't know how to make a career out of that. So I found a school uh, here locally in Tampa. It's called the International Academy of Design and Technology, where I learned uh, digital video, which was, at the time when I was learning it, that was popular, which was mini-DV. Mini 
So I learned how to operate cameras, learn how to edit, learn how to light, you know, movies for, for video and, and that kind of thing. So after that, you know, I graduated and I, I got a job um, within, I'd say, three days after graduating at the Tampa Convention Center as an audiovisual technician. And I took the job because I was like, this isn't exactly what I want to do, but it's, you know, in the same field, you know, I'll meet some people, I'll learn some stuff, you know, it's a job, I need a job, so I took it. And I ended up doing that for two years, and then I, um, I got laid off. It was right around 2009 when the economy started tanking, and, um, you know, they basically told me, like, look, you know, we just can't afford to keep you on anymore. I was like, oh, well. So from there, I went to Bush Gardens. Um, this was during around the Halloween time. And I got hired as a uh, entertainment technician for their Halloween Horror Nights event. So it was there that I really finally started to hone in on my, you know, horror type. I was like, I love horror movies. You know, this is what I want to do, and, and that thing. So I worked on haunted houses. I basically set up audio that, that would run in haunted houses. Um, I met a special effects artist there named James Vale, who had worked on Predator, Beetlejuice. Uh, big name stuff and you know I got to talking to him and you know he, he taught me a lot just in conversation you know about the business and what he knew so anyway I got laid off in that job too so I was like alright you know where do I go from here so my initial start was after Bush Gardens I, I literally went on Craigslist you know under the TV film and production category and there it was it said right there horror movie casting calls like whoa I was like in Tampa I was like I didn't even know they made movies in Tampa you know I was just throwing a coin in a bucket and hope, hoping, you know, something would happen. So, I, uh, I find out about this company called Reaper Films. Um, they're here in Tampa. I, I look at their website. I talk to the gentleman on the phone. His name is Chris Lato. said he's putting a movie together. Um, I go and I meet with him. And I, I was kind of expecting something a little bigger, I guess. You know, and I you know, asked him what he was shooting on. He had his little home video camera. I was like, well, who's making the movie? And he goes... Well, me and, and now you too, I guess. <laughs> and I had I had already went through school and and had done a couple student projects, so I had a little experience on on how movies work. And I right then I started thinking, I'm like, wow, this guy doesn't know what he's getting into. Anyway, I took the project on. It didn't pay anything, but I didn't have a job, and I, I wanted I wanted to really help out because I I loved horror movies, and, and Chris was a nice enough guy. I was like, you know, this might be kind of fun. So we made this movie called If I Can't Have You. It's terrible. Um, we haven't released it yet. We're actually working on getting it released next year. But it basically became our film school. Uh, we worked with a lot of actors that we continue to work with later on. And um, we, we made a lot of mistakes and, and learned from them. And um, I think from there we went to work on Chris's next project, The Housewife Slasher. And then from there, Joe Vampire. Then from that, Rough Cut, which will actually be released later this year. And then after Rough Cut was Die Die Delta Pi. Um, then I worked on another production called Franklin, A Symphony of Pain. And now, uh, Death Court Service. So, there's my life story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is there like, was there ever like a movie or something that inspired you that go, okay, this is what I, you know, that's what I'm trying. Like, what's your favorite movie of your genre? Um, believe it or not, I mean, it's hard to say any specific one movie. Um, as a kid, I really liked the movie Fright Night. Um, which you know, like uh, my first movie. Uh, Joe Vampire is a vampire movie, um, but believe it or not, I'm really not a big fan of vampires. I just like the movie Fright Night. Fright Night and Lost Boys, I think, are the only vampire movies I really like. Um, 
and I was kind of trying to go for that style in Joe Vampire, but, you know, didn't have the budget to really do what we wanted to do. But, um, you know, other movies that influenced me, uh, Evil Dead, uh, Friday, Friday the 13th, Halloween, you know, some of the big name stuff. And more recently, I've gotten into, you know, lower budget, uh, independent stuff. Um, Marcus Cook, uh, an effects artist here in Tampa, made a movie a few years back called The Hundred Tears. It's basically this killer clown with a giant meat cleaver going around hacking people. You know, and it was a lower budget independent film, and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and that, you know, that's just one. I mean, there's there's others even done at lower budgets than, than what he's worked with. Um, and now it seems that that's all I watch. You know, I've built up, you know, friendships with a lot of people that make these underground, you know, couple thousand dollar films and now it's hard for me to enjoy a Hollywood movie because most of these films have practical effects um, whereas you know Hollywood movies a lot of CGI and I just there's no yeah it, it you kind of there was an article about this actually I wish I could quote it but basically what they said is you know what you're trying to do in a movie you know is create escapism and, and fool your audience and if someone sees hey that's some computer animated figure there you kind of lose it whereas with practical effects you know you have a real guy in a mask you know using fake knives and fake blood and it, it looks more realistic so you're 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 more, more you're more engaged into it because you think it's it's real rather than you know CGI. It's more you know. visceral. Yeah, you know, it's like right. in the old movies like the HG Lewis four movies. They actually took absolutely parts, so you know it's a real part. And What's you know, your favorite part of the whole process? Um, like, like when you look at the whole thing of everything you do for these. What do you well, like I mean, you have you have your pre-production, your production, and then post-production. I really enjoy pre-production and production of projects. I don't want to say that I don't enjoy post-production, but of the three, it's probably, believe it or not, my least favorite. And that's really where you're really creating your film, you know, you're, you're editing. So most of my projects, you would notice, I'm, I'm not the editor on it. You know, I might assist or, you know, but typically I like to work with an editor because I'm, I'm really just not a great editor. It takes a lot of patience and time. I'm not saying that I don't have that, but you really have to kind of know what you're doing and, and, and you know, really be interested in that. Why was the editor for our TV show? Right, Edit, editing, editing is one of the hardest jobs so you can hard. have on a, on a set, you know. And on my newest project, luckily, I, I got to work with Chris Woods, um, who is an amazing editor, and he, he made a really awesome cut of our, our newest film. How many, but how many takes do you usually do on a movie? I, I mean, it, it depends. Um, with my newest one, you know, I think two to three takes was the max. <laughs> you know, I, I've learned that you know with these kind of movies, I'm not trying to make a masterpiece. So you know, get it and move on. But um, I think the most takes we ever did was probably on our first couple movies. Like if I can't have you, I think we went into maybe the low twenties. Oh my god! As far as takes. And some of them were probably usable, but we were just, you know, we were trying for perfection. And, you know, now I seem to get, it seems like I get that result faster. Right. But it's funny that you talk about takes. Um, I watched a documentary recently about Stanley Kubrick. I think it's called Room 237. And they talk about how many takes he did in the movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson. And some of the movie that you're watching, you don't realize it, they're on a take like 167. And the reason Stanley Kubrick said he did this, he's like, well, you know, when you get to about 20 or 30 takes, your actor starts getting worn out. When you get to 50 or 60, they start getting angry at you. When you get to like 100, 150, then they literally just seem insane. 
And if you watch the movie The Shining, I mean, Jack really looks nuts. So he I guess that I guess that's how he got that result. He broke now, him. <laughs> not not saying that that hey, you know, I want to I I really want to experiment with an actor and just see what kind of result we get doing take 150. <coughs> you know, it, it would take us all day, but I just want to see what what you get at that level. Especially you know. if you need them for a crazy scene or something. But I'm just you know they say the definition of insanity is doing the same task over and over and expecting a different result or yeah, some, something to that level, yeah. So, I mean, that's what it sounds like Kubrick was trying to do, and I don't I don't know if he got that. He probably had the same take on 150 that he did on 87, you know, but... Is there anybody you want to work with? I mean, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people I want to work with. Um, most recently, um, my uh, magazine I run, Print is Dead, I got to interview Jill Sholin from The Stepfather, Cutting Class, uh, Phantom of the Opera. She's an actress that I've always loved from the 80s. She's in a bunch of stuff, even you know a lot more than what I just named. She's an actress I'd like to work with. Um, I always wanted to work with Donald Pleasance, but unfortunately he's not around anymore. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and there, there's a lot of people in the industry I would just like to meet. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people, so I can't just really go down the list, but I mean, you know. Wait, you still get Donald Sutherland. <laughs> Donald Sutherland's cool. I mean, he's pretty crazy. Um, I think I think I'd rather work with Gary Busey just to see oh what would happen. Yeah, give him 150 points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna come to that camera and kill you. That's what you get after 150 takes. Is there a movie that you would like to like do, like say a remake or an homage to, or anything? I typically don't like remakes. But um, I was just actually talking with someone about this, and um, I believe a remake should be a movie that was, hey, this was a good idea, but the movie didn't come out that good, and it could be done better. For instance, I think the movie Piranha, the original one, wasn't that good, you know? Like, I never really thought it was that great. I actually liked the remake better than the original, because it seemed like they, they made the movie that they were trying to make in the 80s, whereas... Um, an example of uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I think the original movie is awesome. Shouldn't be. Uh, it should be untouched. And then the remake, they tried to basically spruce it up, make it better, and and it was terrible. Never worked. You know, um, I recently saw the remake of Poltergeist. I thought it was awful. You know, movies I think that are already really good, what at horror, whatever genre. I don't think you should remake those. You know, take a movie that was bad and remake it. But Hollywood doesn't want to take a risk like that. Like, this is like Psycho is the classic one. We're like, right? Why, why remake it? it? Right. And it flops because it's like, yeah, you know. And right. how many times have they remade Frankenstein? Hundred right. times. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're, I think you're seeing less and less original ideas, um, you know, from Hollywood films, and that's why, like I said earlier, you know, I've really been into these lower budget underground horror films because they're all original. You know, they're original ideas, original cast, original story. You know, I want to see something new rather than. You know the 23rd edition of Frankenstein. You know. Do you, think it's, do you really think it's as simple as they just don't want to take any risks? Like, why would? It seems like Hollywood, in my opinion, has fallen into just this. Absolutely, it's it's stuff, it's. You, know? you got guys sitting at a table with their calculators and saying, "Hey, we had Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, this person, this person. We spend six million dollars. This equals sixty million dollars. If we if we show a McDonald's here uh, at 20 minutes of the film, this means that." And that's how they're making their movie. They're not saying, hey, you know, has let's... No heart, has no soul, right, has right. No story, you know. Um, but remakes, like I said, I'm, I'm really kind of against it, even though there have been a few. 
I'd say 10% of 100%, you know, I've, I've enjoyed, like I said earlier, I like the Piranha remake. But if I could remake a film, this is actually a film that doesn't bother me if it gets remade every 20 years. Um, just because I think it's a good film to kind of show technology in filmmaking. Um, I really like the original Blob, the black and white. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just a fun, drive-in style movie. And I actually like the 80s one, too. You know, it was like, okay, it's the 80s Blob. A lot of people didn't like it. I think it even well, might have tanked. I think it's just called the Blob. Oh, it's just, okay, yeah. it's just the second Blob. I mean, I think they might have made a few more, but it's, it's a remake of the original Blob. And I liked it, you know, and I think, like I said, every 10, 20 years, they should just remake it to kind of show, you know, where technology is. Now, if they remade the Blob now, it would be loaded with CGI, and I'd probably hate it. But I think you should make it just to show, hey, this is where it is right now, and this is what we're doing. Another 20 years, make it again, and like, okay, this is how it is. I just think it's a fun story, you know, it's teenagers in high school running away from this big, massive blob, you know. I got that on Criterion, I was like, yay, because yeah. I got that for Christmas, I was like, yay. I had the Blu-ray. Yep, I love I, it. Yeah. I just got it last year, I couldn't believe it. Such a fun movie. What about like 70s movies? I, I like 70s movies. I'm getting into them more and more. Um, a friend of mine, Richard Anaski, another director here in town, he made a movie called Actress Apocalypse, which is basically about actors taking over a film set, which 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 happens <laughs> which more times. Which happens more times than less. What do you think? Anyway, Richard Richard Anaski is really big into 70s films. He likes Russ Meyer. Um, uh, exploitation type films and I worked on Franklin and Symphony of Pain with him and you know during the set you know we talk about movies and let me see his movie collection and it's just loaded with out of print out of date 70s movies things you can't find I mean he literally doesn't have anything in his collection that's mainstream I was like I've never seen a movie collection like this in my life and he let me borrow some stuff and tell me about some stuff and I mean I had seen you know 70s film more mainstreamy stuff but um, he let me, you know, borrow some basically underground 70s films that a lot of people didn't know about. And I really like those a lot because, again, you're getting practical effects. You're seeing actors that may have made it bigger later, you know, that were their first time acting and stuff like that. Still hungry. Um, so I do, I do enjoy 70s horror and sci-fi, you know. Yeah, too. that's the area that I come from. I'm, I'm also a guy that has, like, hundreds of the right. movies or whatever. And because of my age too, sorry. I mean no, to cut no, you off. I understand. You're I, I, I'm an '80s guy, so I didn't get to see as much '70s stuff, you know, just because of my age. But now, as I get older, like I'm, I'm in fact, uh, last night I just watched the original, The Island of Doctor Moreau, yeah, with uh, Burt Lancaster. Oh, okay. The, so the '30s. Oh wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So I already okay. I saw the remake. Well, I saw the 1970s one. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I mean, they had real animals attacking people. I mean, they wouldn't do stuff like that now. Some of the stuff that I watched. They had animals they do it now. running they through fire. I mean, yeah, things that like were almost, you know, yeah, wrong. Yeah, right. That's what it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, I enjoyed the film. I really liked it. And it was made in 1977, I think. So, yeah, I'm, I'm getting more and more into, into 70s stuff. Yeah, because to me, it's like the movies that you're making have more in common with, like, the Definitely. 70s Absolutely. and 80s more so than afterwards, you know, because those are the guys that were making them for, like, low budget. Definitely. They make ends meet. They were, like, almost like they call them guerrilla filmmakers or whatever. They had their people that they work with all the time. Right. And that's kind of what we're building here in Tampa, you know, we kind of... A community. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff, man. No, I mean, we, we saw Delta Pi 
and I was like, I was like knocked out by like. <laughs> Thanks, man. How did you make a movie like that? Like, <laughs> this is just as good as like something that I used to see in video stores. Right, right. You know, like when we were watching on our show, uh, the slow robot, yeah. we did cheerleader camp. Right. Yeah, and it was like. You know. We're actually we're working on a prequel to Die Die Delta Pi. It's going to be 100% set in the 80s. Oh, that's so it's going to we were we were we were going to make a sequel, you know, and I was geared up to make a sequel. And we actually had the first part of the story already uh, written, and we were set to shoot it. It was going to take place in a hospital right after uh, you know the beginning of the first one. One of the I don't want to give too much away, but there was a survivor, and you know and. The killing started happening over. Anyway, the hospital canceled on us two days before the shoot. We lost the location. I had to shut everything down, and then I went on to work on another production. But anyway, Delta Pi's just been getting a lot of uh, um, praise lately. It's getting a lot of buzz, uh, you know, more and more. A nice poster too. Thank you. Um, I didn't know. I didn't make it. Uh, uh, artist's name is Mark Schoenbach. He's he's awesome. Um, I told him I wanted that 80s retro look, and that's what he gave us. So anyway, um, I wanted to do a sequel. I really, I really wanted to. And the whole deal with a sequel is typically, you know, you try with a horror, you try to up your body count, up your budget, up your cast, crew, your your new actors, lead, new lead, you know, bigger, bigger, better. And we just didn't have the money for it. Didn't have the, didn't have what we needed. And I and I didn't want to pull the trigger and not be able to do it the way I want to do it. So I was like, how about if I make a prequel and we just kind of go more low tech and keep it simpler and, you know, and it, it, the prequel that we're writing, it's more of a loose prequel. It's not directly connected. There's going to be a lot of nods and a lot of, you'll see some, a few of the same characters in Delta Pi in it from the 80s portion, but it's not like going to start like the day before Delta Pi happened and lead right into it. It's, it's, it's a loose prequel. So anyway... For the budget that I think we're going to be able to have, I think we're going to be able to make this movie. So it's actually going to be called The Cheerleader Sleepover Slaughter. <laughs> and it's, it takes place completely in the 80s. Um, it's, it's really, I guess the best thing to compare it to is Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I said, it, it's a lead up to the original, you know, Die, Die, Delta Pi. So that's, that's one of the next things I'm working on. Are you familiar with the work of Fred Allen Ray? Because he was another yes. camp. He started out in camp. Funny you should mention him. Uh, our first movie, If I Can't Have You, with Chris Leto, our effects artist, Eric Wilson, um, it was his first gig working on that movie. He went on to work with Chris Olin Ray, which is Fred's son. He works on a lot of their movies. I think he's just recently worked on uh, Three-Headed Shark Attack, and before that he did Two-Headed Shark Attack. <laughs> I keep seeing his name pop up in, in all their movie credits. I was like, wow, that's funny to think. You know, he worked with us, and now he's, you know, moved on to California and doing stuff out there. And we've actually, through the course of time, we've worked with a few actors that have, you know, gone on to do other stuff. You know, similar to Roger Corman, you know, he, where he, is he worked with, you know, these actors for the first time, and they go on to do bigger stuff. If, if you could, if you had the ability to within your budget, would you work with CGI? Well, I mean, in Delta Pi, you may not know, there is there is a little bit of CGI. You know, there, well, I mean... The thing is, CGI. If you don't know the CGI, then 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 you got away with it. But um, honestly, typically, no. I, I really don't like CGI. I mean, the only things we CGI'd in Delta Pi were things that we couldn't have done practically. You know, I just I I, I didn't want to do the CGI. It's like, okay, we have this option or not. And that's really what I think CGI should be, rather than just a go-to. To whereas 
okay, we're just CGI because that, well, that's what we're doing. I was like, no, make the prop, you know, make a fake head, you know, make the fake blood. Don't just CGI it just because you can. You know, well, that, you that should be a last resort kind of thing to me. Like a big monster or, you know, like a, I'd much rather make a big monster than make a CGI. That's, that's I'd rather make a miniature city and have Godzilla yeah. crush in the city yeah. than, than CGI in a big, you know, city and a fake Godzilla. Yeah, you, you know, you're I, I, you're I, it looks phony to me. You know? Yeah, it looks phony because it looks like a, an animated... But not in a cool way. It looks like I, did, a I, can't, I just can't relate to that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that was our interview uh, at a local Hooters with uh, Sean Donahue from yeah. Gator Blade Films. So uh, you heard all of his titles in there. Check them out. Check them out. They're good movies. They're fun movies. Want to uh, say a huge thank you for him, you know, to take the time to meet us and and yeah. talk with us and watch me uh, shove food in my mouth and eat. Uh, yeah, we're looking forward to death I was hungry. court service. Yeah, I know yeah. you're hungry. I was like, wow, I'm hungry. Uh, yeah, death courts, death. Courts? Death escort service, like escort service. Yep. Was a de- it, 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 my, my tongue ties me a little. I'm gonna bit, try and get to that lo- that local. Uh, yeah, he's event. gonna have a local screening. I think he said the 29th of be cool. uh, this be fun. month. Yeah, it'd be fun to meet him and maybe we'll take the, the rig down and the actual camera and uh, and do and some film. Filming. Yeah, that filming. would be awesome. Yeah, um, I mean, he'll probably be uh, impressed with my camera. Actually, it's a it's a better camera than I should have, but uh, you know it, yeah, it works it really nice. nice. That the creature feature camera. Yeah, it's our creature feature camera. So all right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with uh, more awesome B-movie review and uh, and, uh, and other things. and musings and lies alright see you next week I'm Mal with me as always Dr. Morbius catch you on the next side on the other side on the next side or the next side yeah, or the wow. dark side how do you screw up an outro like that yikes we All did right. it we'll see you next week <laughs>